0: This episode is brought to you by eBay. This Father's Day, celebrate the guy who always makes the time with Rolex, Omega, Breitling, and more. Find modern and vintage watches with the authenticity guarantee at eBay.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Inc. No one is reading your mind. But HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today we welcome Eric Ratzenberger from the legendary screamo band Jerome's Dream. Jerome's Dream were around for a very short time from 1997 to 2001, born out of the Connecticut hardcore scene. They had a unique way of playing. The singer, Jeff Smith, refused to use a microphone for shows, and the band was known for playing very short sets, usually no longer than 10 minutes pretty unique these guys are right alongside page 99 orchid satia in that early screamo era if you are unaware it's well worth a dive into their career head on over to their site JeromeSdreamforever.com forever.com and you can learn more about them and be ready for new music in 2019 thank you to all the patreon supporters you make this podcast a reality patreon.com slash washed up emo if you want to support every dollar goes toward keeping this podcast afloat thank you thank you this is episode 144 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Eric Rattensberger from Jerome's Dream.
1: That that we were going to do this record, uh, this new record, he just said, you know, you should you should reach out to uh, wash out, washed up emo.
0: <laughs> and I, okay, cool, and, and you know, you had no just, idea
1: what it was, right? I, I actually, no, I, I I did not listen to it. I, I didn't know that it existed. But then I saw what you had created and after you know ten years. You've you've amassed this archive of really important stuff, and you've spoken to a lot of really great artists over the the years, and. uh, I think that's a really important thing to have, because I feel like a lot of segments of punk rock haven't been properly archived, They haven't been properly
0: uh, covered historically. And before know? the sort of Internet was the ease of our phone being available to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a pretty incredible time because kind of to what you said a little bit earlier, um, it's not just for the people who were there. Like like us old folk it's 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 new kids who are discovering this type of music through platforms like Spotify, which is kind of awesome that a lot that a lot of this music has ended up on streaming, you know, so a kid who discovers one band that that really resonates with them, they can suddenly discover an, another dozen of, of a similar genre of punk, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I feel uh, like there's a lot of some bands bands. From back then do not want to And they're like why would anybody do it There's a few bands I won't mention that I've tried to convince yeah, To do it And they won't and I'm like what if there's that kid That just found out about Screamo yesterday yeah. And realized that it wasn't the shit In the mid 2000s and it actually started Earlier and they start going on that trail I would hate for them To not be able to understand Your band's part of it Yeah, and if it's there you can Well,
1: you know, I I think that that's sort of a general mentality with a lot of old punks. You know, it's kind of like a a purist attitude in a way where it's like if it's if it's not gritty and if it's not, uh, you know, if it's not done for for the the least amount of money and, you know, it's it's suddenly like not authentic or it it doesn't have the same weight as something does when, you know, you, you, you scrap some some money together and put out a seven inch and. I don't know. I, I've I've never really understood that that approach to uh, you know deeming w- w- what's authentic or inauthentic when it comes to intention and, and creating music. You know, underground music. Um, you know, w- when we when we started our band when we were like nineteen years old and it was like ninety seven, we started. You know, we had no money. We had shitty equipment. Um, How old were you guys? Well, I think I was nineteen when we started. Or maybe 18, 19. Jeff was just a year older than me. Nick was a year younger, so he was like 18 maybe. And, you know, we we didn't we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't... You guys were in Connecticut at this time. We started in Connecticut. Where yeah. in Connecticut? Uh, right outside of New Haven. Um, Nick's parents at the time, they were in West Haven. And that's where we started. We actually set up our equipment in Nick's mother's house in the basement. And you know jeff had this really shitty pv amp of course solid state and then he i don't know what nick had but their their guitars you know their inputs were loose and of course the the connections weren't great and their guitars sounded like shit and you know i had a drum set that i i peeled off the the outer shell <laughs> so it was just it was just a mangled beginner's drum set and that's actually what i played with throughout the whole time with jd was just this the first drum set my parents bought when i was 12 wow <laughs> usually usually people upgrade <laughs> yeah um not not at that time but but again like like you know when you when you're i think when you're younger and you're kind of in that mentality of um you know what your perspective is on on what's what what's pure or what's authentic when when it comes to uh i guess punk rock you know it's weird it's it's been so long i don't even know like what it what what any of that really means anymore you know when you compare back then which is the late 90s early 2000s but but the late 90s in particular you know that time when things it seemed like back then in that very small sliver of time, there was a, a crop of bands that came out. There was a, a really vibrant community of just you know, DIY, DIY hardcore and um, kids from all over, you know. And the the fact that that these young people were able to string a community together through you know i mean those were the early days of the internet so there were like chat rooms and shit like that like message boards like, yeah message boards exactly or there were like the the zines that you would come across at a show you know or in instant messenger of course you know AOL um and Rest that's in kind peace. Of, what's that Rest oh, yeah. in peace oh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um of course but it, it was it was pretty extraordinary to think about how how People successfully created this this very intact culture of bands and kids who who had distros who would show up to every show with their you know milk crates of records and and i mean that 's how a lot of the music was discovered back then. You would see a show that had like a local opener and like you heard of some band that was coming through and everyone was excited for but then but then you know there would be some kid who had a distro that you would f- come across a record that you had no idea existed and oh my god they're from you know such and such place and then you're thinking to yourself holy shit there there's there's a punk scene there too and and then if you start a band and then you contact them or you you somehow get a contact f- in the city that that band is from and then you you end up touring through that city and then you end up meeting those other kids and it's just I mean, it kind of just was what it was back then. But to this day, I still find it so incredible that that was even the case, you know, without Google Maps, without, um, you know, streaming streaming. Like, like w- without Spotify, you know, there it was, it was more of a hunt. There was more of a, a challenge to connect the dots. Talking about this stuff now in 2018, it, it, it blows my mind to think that we were even there. And I'll, I'm sure there were listeners who weren't, but there are also a lot who were. And, and you make a really good point that we were there at a time where it was sort of on the brink of, of, of things changing because of technology. You know, and that's the other thing about punk there was such a there's such an anti-technology angle to it
0: and I, I never even really understood that either because wouldn't punk being like being ahead of everybody else and like doing something cool yeah before? And, and and to me
1: a big component of punk rock is embracing change not you know a lot of people like to stay sort of in their uh, i mean to say rut is negative but in a way it kind of was and there was there was a reason why i I personally stepped away from it for a good while because I at least my experience with it especially the tail end of it was that people weren't evolving people weren't embracing change people weren't I I mean and that's fine it, it's 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 you know you you could you could choose to to kind of keep things a certain way but even, even the band, you know, JD was was one that never really stood still, you know, both um physically and and, and sonically. It it the 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 aesthetics changed over time. I mean, people who are familiar with our 10-inch, it's a much different record compared to our last record we did, which was Presents, which was you know, much different in sound. The 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 approach was the same. And the intentions were the same, but it came out differently. And um, I think I've said this before in another, well, a chat that I had with Jeff and Nick in the band, Um, you know, if you listen to to Presents, in a way, the sound almost, it's almost reflective of how we were kind of feeling about about it all, you know, kind of, you know, it, it was very cynical in a way. And I think a lot of people kind of didn't like that, you know. But we didn't. We, I think for us to hold back or to try and keep us slotted in a particular sound, that's almost anti-punk rock. You know, it's like if you if you have a if you have like a thing you want to experiment with sonically or or, or you know re, you know structurally or whatever. I think it's key to really answer to that to not be held back by what you think people want to hear
0: or how you should be. You know. Because so it's not going to come off as authentic. Completely. Yeah. And you're going to lose people because they're like, oh, I like the last record or I like this, the first thing. And it's all, they could have been 16 and they broke up with somebody and that's when they heard <sighs> it. But to take a journey with a band, yeah. I always feel bad for bands that got really popular yeah, and they had one record and they keep making music. And sure, maybe it's not as good. Sure, <laughs> maybe it's different. Mm-hmm. But if you were a fan, mm-hmm. you'd give it a shot. You'd go to the show and totally. it would be more about them as a band versus an album or a song yeah yeah and it's it's funny that
1: you mentioned that because it reminds me of a review that jerome's dream got from heart attack magazine which was uh kent mcclard's from ebullition records and uh his his group over there west on the west coast i think golita uh when we put out presents which was our final record at the time um you know, it, they shat on it so hard, and the description. I only remember this because someone sent it, sent it to me recently, but I found it to be really ironic because it was very much that 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 perspective on you know, punk rock needs to be shitty, and if and it was kind of ironic too because the the person who reviewed it, she said that that at one time our records were simple and shitty which is great but now they're overproduced and slick which i found to be incredibly ignorant because for one kurt bellew from converge recorded it, and i hardly see him as slick and i don't think he does anything overproduced he's just as much of a punk as 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 anyone out there if not more so i just thought that the, that kind of that kind of negativity and approach because it wasn't even a constructive interview uh not interview uh review rather you know it was it was more like a deliberate you know just pissing on the band yeah. because it, for whatever reason you know but anyways i mean not 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 to not to be stuck on um th- this negative angle of punk i mean there's obviously so many amazing wonderful things about
0: that time and uh you know well, I think it's an interesting time that I always like to i it was my favorite four or five years of music, yeah yes, too. I was in college, yes, I had access to every record and I went to shows and yeah. went to Mac rock and every festival i could and and this uh, this but this type of music I feel like hit me more than others um and I just think when you guys were starting out, what were some of those bands that you all connected on that? You know, because again, it's it could be random shit. Because whenever mm. I talk to some bands, it's like they're not even you know rock records. It was like we all loved blah blah blah, and you're like, what? Oh, but, com- completely. And then when you got together, it made yeah, no, completely. And that's a really good question
1: because I think when people li- listen to a band like Drum's Dream, they I think it's I, I think it's easy to to assume that we listen to a lot of other chaotic hardcore bands, and we did. But it was weird. We were kind of discovering them. It was so strange because what we were doing, we didn't even really know what we were influenced by. I mean, we to answer your question in a second, we were listening to a ton of different types of music. I mean, you know, on one side, you know, we're listening to a bunch of West Coast hardcore and bands like Angel Hair and Portraits of Past, uh, Honeywell... um, volume 11 gasp i don't know where those guys are from i think they're from west coast but then a lot of you know uh southern or southeast hardcore from florida like palatka and um, i hate myself and reversal of man Assuck, suck um early grace there were so many bands from so many corners of the country and and in that genre of, of diy hardcore but we were also listening to Jimmy Eat World. We were listening to Piebald. We were listening to C&Cake and Don Cab and uh, Paul Newman, Trail of Dead. Um, I mean, uh, uh, my God, Shellac, uh, Brainiac, um, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know,
0: just, just the, the, the how, whole the whole spectrum. How did you find out about those? All of them. We, we talked well, about it a little earlier, yeah. but were there like, was it like one record store that was like a, where was like the epicenter? Because mine yeah. was it was the college radio station i'd listened to growing up in, in vermont and it would be friends yeah. Telling me,
1: yeah yeah i mean it for us in new haven connecticut there was a venue called the tune-in and the tune-in was kind of the epicenter for underground music um i it closed down years ago but you know they the, the that was the venue who was putting on um you know proper like like East Coast hardcore bands like uh, you know New York hardcore like Snapcase and Earth Crisis and all those types of bands, a bunch of straight edge hardcore bands, and uh, you know, God, I, I I can't even I can't even begin to, to 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 list all the shows I've seen there. I mean, I saw Refused there with Dead Guy. And that was fucking... That was one of the, the sickest shows I've ever seen because that's when Refused was refused. And that's when they first came to the States, I think. And I've never seen a band with that much energy just, just floor the entire space. And by the way, TuneIn is only like a 200-cap room. Or it's like a 250-cap room. But, but anyway, so Tune In had a record store inside the shop. So that's where, you know, there was a lot of band T-shirts and there was a lot of... Um, and they had tons of records... And, you know, that's that's one one place where um, I discovered, you know, a a lot of records that kind of influenced me or at least I wouldn't say changed my life, but they certainly added to the world that I was discovering when I was a kid. I mean, I was going to shows when I was 14 years old and that was the first place I went to, you know, New Haven was for me going
0: to hardcore shows and skateboarding you know I mean what a great spot too I mean it was perfect because there were already hardcore bands from there yeah. so bands would play there because there were already mm-hmm. bands and then you were in proximity to New York and Boston so of course they're going to add yeah. another show yeah. and it just it was a great I think place to be you could you could be effect you could still be in the burbs but totally. then be so close to something that was uh I think very well, Not it, city-like, it, but just like but, urban. Yeah, and it was and it was accessible um,
1: because of that. It was, you know New Haven geographically is pretty central on the shoreline in Connecticut, but there are also other cities that were doing shows. I mean, also the, the the schools. I mean, Yale put on tons of shows. I mean, I saw Trans Am, I saw Braid, I saw um, who else did I see there?
0: Um, First time I saw Jimmy World was at a college
1: amazing i mean yeah. that, that, that and again that also reminds me of like hartford you know trinity college I, I saw uh promise ring with compound red and uh jazz june and to get back to sort of the, the music that influenced us i mean nick our guitar player at the time he was listening to like early foo fighters and jazz june and uh and all these other and like get up kids and stuff like that which is really funny because well it's not funny but it's very opposite to what Jeff and I were listening to um you know I think Jeff and I were listening to That makes to, it fun. Well it, it creates a unique uh not chemistry but sometimes you just don't expect to come up with things as at, so you know when you're with when you're with three people writing music and you're coming from these different angles it is kind of amazing to see what comes out of that and it sometimes it's, it's things that you
0: least expect. Yeah. Um well that's person coming from this other perspective. If you all just listen to Asuk <laughs> and Universal man, it be a pretty boring band. Yeah, it would just it would just sound like another, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean <laughs>
1: nothing then, wrong with that. No, but it, it, that's also <laughs> the other thing about um it, to fast forward to now there is st- there are still bands who are making music like that and i think it's really cool that that there are kids today who are tapping into their own version of that but like you said earlier there will never be another time like that very particular slice of uh you know late 90s where it was kind of on the brink before things really changed i I like that you know bleed american that's i have a story about jimmy world pre-bleed american um I guess it was in 99, but um, I'll get back to that in a second. Um, But in terms of, I know we're kind of bouncing around a little bit, but in terms of like authenticity and intention when it comes to what's motivating this type of music, I mean, really that should really motivate all, all music, you know, but that's just simply not the case. And there's a lot of copycats and there's a lot of people who are trying to tap into something, but, they're just navigating they're navigating it all wrong and ultimately what the result is is going to be something that just kind of comes up short because it's not theirs you know and i think that's really important for for people who are making or who are trying to tap into this this thing you know that uh, very like um uninhibited unhinged punk rock music and i guess just for our purposes you know i'm kind of referencing that specifically because i think especially after you know the, the mid to late 2000s like like p- punk rock in general was i felt like it kind of it sort of petered out in a weird way and i'm sure a lot of people would argue that and i like i would like to hear other people's perspectives on where where underground punk rock music went because uh, truthfully i'm personally like a little bit out of the loop uh, especially
0: during that time, I, I really kind of just just abandoned it. For I think it was still while. there. I just think the mainstream thought of what punk was was at, that's what was it mainstream. It was down. It was down the block at TRL. Yeah, you know what was punk was now on TRL. I think that's what happened for me was that I observed that
1: and I was just like I was just like I can't and like of course. People still held held on to. Or there were still pr- basement shows. They, they, they preserved that that sort of you know culture of of undergr- uh, you know basement shows, house shows, and you know kids were still putting out records themselves. And I think you get a better result if you sort of understand where where sort of the the roots are. You know where they come from. Uh, but at the same time, while I while while I, I talk about this, I'm almost thinking, well, maybe, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe maybe things just need to be be you know
0: broken down again or, or
1: just be like yeah like be, be be fluid and there of course there's always new iterations of things it's like even with you know our band in 2018 which i never thought i would ever say but when we had this conversation for the first time together last september which was ugh, our 20th anniversary um this this idea of of doing a new record came up or something around the idea of that you know and neither n- none of n- none of us had any idea of what that might look like in terms of sound or approach or because you'd grown you've well, a been lot out of, of it for a minute and a lot of life and change and uh, you know a lot of stuff has happened between then and now you know we're not we're not the angry
0: lost teenagers we once were and You're young, we were both there, this is what this is supposed to be, nothing else matters, and then you've got your 20s and shit starts to get real. Your job, your life, your family, shit goes down. And then you start moving on and I think maybe we're just stuck in there because of that's when it was, but you're right, it's those principles that kind of stay with the ethos or the ethics that sort of continue on. But I still think that piece of the internet is so important because it will never be that way right ever again and you know what and i net neutrality which is coming uh, oh god yeah i know (sighs)
1: fucking yeah (laughs) let's not get started on all that stuff um but yes uh no it's so true and i think i think really the key is to um i think it's nice that we could you we we could talk about back then because we were there but i also don't want to be precious about and again i'm just speaking for myself like I I want to make sure that when, I, when people listen to this, and again, I'm really just kind of flying by the seat of my pants here, because this, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing to sort of kind of bring back up and to, to think about back then, but then to really consider how much time has gone by, how much
0: has changed. But you're still and, those three guys. You know, American football made a new record. Yeah. I love it. I haven't heard it yet. It's fantastic, amazing, and everyone was obsessed with their last. You know, of course, it's Mm -hmm. like Seminole record and Mike Kinsella and all this stuff. You know, a lot. One of the guys in the band hadn't played in forever. Yeah, and just started playing again. And I think when you have the energy of the people that were in a band together, whatever that makes, whatever time period has passed, it's still there. Yeah, and it should still be, I think, cherished for what happened. Because you still, you're able to, you're healthy enough, yeah. you're friends with them, you can make it again, yeah. that should be enough. I agree. Braid the same way. Braid got back together, yeah. did some new stuff, it sounded different, but you could tell it was still them. So I them. still think yeah. you guys together demoing, it's still going to be
1: you. A hundred percent. And um, I think that's why we're so excited for it, to, to, to do this. And, uh, you know, we... We haven't even kept in touch, really, since we broke up. Wow. So, on Saturday, I'm actually going to see Nick, who played guitar for the first time in 17 years. That's oh, you wanted the reasons.
0: writing through the internet? Huh? Had you been writing through the internet? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. How, how, many how have you been
1: demoing? So, I don't know if, if many people know, but like, so I... I played drums in the band um but i wrote most of the music in jd and i don't consider myself a guitar player but i've always approached the guitar as more of a percussive instrument and i think that's why you know a lot of the stuff we came out with was sort of weird off-time signatures and just it kind of just was a reflection of what i had bopping around in my head and you know um but so this time around um i I, i've been i picked up a guitar for the first time in a long time and i started i started writing at my house and i I live in l.a now so um and nick is in connecticut and um that's kind of how he would start i would write a part i would show it to nick and then he would sort of put his his stamp on it and sort of elevate it to his weird world of guitar playing that's you know that's the thing i can't play like nick but i can show him an idea i can show him something of a particular time signature or a progression and then he'll be like he'll be like okay that works and then he'll he'll just play something that blows my mind or throws me off and and it, and it, and it works you know and it's that's 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 one of the reasons why it works so well with with Jeff and Nick is what each of us bring to the table creates a very particular dynamic you know and there's really no ego involved either um ego does not get in the way of of creative process with us and i think that's why it worked the way it did um and that's why i think it's going to work this time around um but now we just have logistical challenges and uh but thank the internet for um you know demo sharing i mean i mean postal service created a whole you know i mean and even back then, that was, that was like... That was pretty intense. That was like really the first of its kind where this idea of file sharing to, to actually make a record was done and they did it. And, that you could do it. Yeah. And very successfully yeah. that, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, granted, those two guys were coming from incredible backgrounds already, you know. I mean, those are... Uh, those guys are legends in their own right for what they've done with underground music. And I mean, we, even back then, yeah, we were listening to death cab as well. And yeah, I mean, again, when I, when I, when I dig in the archives, the mental archives, um, all of these bands, they, they were all doing their own version of their own expression. You know, it was, it was kind of cool to, to have so many different types of subgenres of, of, punk rock or indie rock, whatever you want to call it. Because a lot of that music, a lot of the music back then, you know, they're, they're bands that didn't even have to use distortion, but you you could really feel what they were, what they were doing with their songs. And I don't know, especially back then, and maybe because the sound was just so new to me, because um, it was happening then, there was just something about those bands that really just, just resonated with me. You know, I, I, again, I just, I thought the creativity was so extraordinary, and I think because the uh, people people made the most incredible shit with very little when we launched this this crowdfunding campaign for for this l p which by the way, I cannot believe we successfully and beyond hit our goal and i but the fact that that came back to us, which we're so incredibly overwhelmed by, but now we can actually. Kind of like sit at the table and be like, okay, you know what? What's this going to look like in terms of what we give back to the kids who entrusted us with their money that they've put down on something we haven't even made yet? And so, it's my personal goal to kind of tap back into that what we did way back when, which is you know uh, hand hand folded inserts and and even handwritten a lot of times. And um, I remember we would oh my god I remember when Nick and I when we first made uh, we, we made like the first JD cassette tape demos and I remember the, this is so emo <laughs> we'd go outside during the fall and we would take leaves and we would actually laminate the leaves on the covers of the cassette tapes and I, I don't have one I wish I did I don't know where they went but maybe someone out there has one but I've, I haven't i have seen them since we gave them out we maybe made like 30 of them but we would, we would do that kind of uh, you know hand hand applied element and so you know we're gonna we're gonna do this lp and of course it's gonna have all the traditional fixins, i guess but you know as a thank you to everyone i went out of my way to get really beautiful paper and i made a custom rubber stamp of this graphic that this artist uh whose name is french who is uh based in nuremberg from what i understand even though i think he's british but uh he did a new graphic for the 10 inch which we're actually going to repress um i know we're kind of bouncing over here between an lp we're about to make but a 10 inch that we did in 1999 but we're repressing now and um a lot of you had already have already pre-ordered one so thanks for that um but we're redoing the artwork for that and i thought it was just another opportunity to to tap into this thing where we do something that's different but still in the same vein of what we did back
0: then. Um, No, I think you're right of taking taking something to have it feel a little deeper. And I was thinking about it. Bands today are doing that. They're making more videos. They're making more content. Yes. And I think the thing that maybe they'll have that we didn't have Mm -hmm. was they've got a document of it. There's Mm -hmm. a metadata in the photos of when it was taken. If you took a bunch of Polaroids and... One of them got lost. Well, yeah. that's gone forever. It's gone. They have a documentation of it for later. So I think from the digital standpoint, they've got more memories around right. the moments, but maybe not as many physical. But maybe those were more. Maybe those are more valuable later because of yeah, possibly time stamping and all those things. So I feel like they're almost they're doing it in a different way. Yeah, that we were just taking photos on a on a, on a camera and just kind of throwing it in the bottom of the of the bag they're maybe taking more and they'll have them where you lost you maybe lost the photos or you only you forgot to make the make copies or you only made one and then your brother Jimmy took them or (laughs) no it's it's they get lost along the way they do and and it's true um,
1: in terms of how much more content is out there and, and especially now with bands it's like that's part of the thing it's like you need to make a bunch of content so people it increases the visibility and chances of of you being found and also the hopefully appealing to someone because i feel like a lot of people you know they they do judge a book by its cover you know and i of course a good song is a good song and it's undeniable and if a band if a band's music makes you feel a certain way then you're not going to care what the cover looks like but i think even if it's on a subconscious level you're affected by the visual's that are paired with the music and that could be a video that could be a social
0: post that could be anything could be anything anything. so you only it's funny bands then like you had one shot yeah scrolling through the distro that's it rocking through heart attack Mm -hmm. or you seeing you yeah you've got those i mean there's probably more radio station maybe but like the visuals that distro the record store and on the merch table that's it and I think, in a way, that that's kind of amazing.
1: It, it gets back to what I was saying about, um, you know, that sort of inspiring real creativity. And again, the, the the visuals that people were doing, especially for back then, the types the, those types of records, you know, just, I mean, that the the artwork alone could be its its own discussion. Yeah. Um But I'm of a mindset now where I think it's really important to. To sort of to to embrace best you know the best of both worlds in terms of what what the internet allows us to do in terms of being able to archive things and it's there forever or to develop new shit you know like my idea for for JD now is to do as much archiving as we can with with whatever we have access to I mean I I did hang on to a bunch of flyers and, and original. Prints and photographs and stuff, not as much as I would have liked, but um, enough to have inspired me to start the Instagram two years ago. And I almost look at our Instagram as an archive of, of everything I could possibly come across in terms of photos and flyers. And what's been nice about the, the announcement of this new record is that people have been coming out of the woodwork, sending more stuff, more flyers of uh, shows that I completely forgot that exactly. we had played, and then then it it brings up all of these other memories of the you know the people that you interacted with and They're the like, bands oh that God, you I met. Oh I remember like,
0: when we went to you know New Jersey that one time. And yeah, the or, or like and... or
1: like oh yeah, that Sioux Falls show was insane, and you know or you know I, I, it's countless. I still can't I still can't believe there are flyers that are coming up. Like I I, I can't believe how much we actually played back then. You know like. That's the other thing too. When you were a band back then, that's what you had to do was was tour and tour and tour and tour. That's just what you did. And these days, it was a big sacrifice, huge. But it was almost at least for us, it was that was all that mattered. Like like we had our first tour, we had purchased a station wagon for three hundred and fifty bucks and managed to do a full. U.S. tour. Wow. Granted, there were some gaps in the country, uh, <laughs> but that was just because we booked it ourselves. And uh, again, that that the whole thing with uh, you know sh- connecting the dots and, and stringing things together as best you can with with
0: what little you have. And what's funny, I was just talking to an intern. and He's in a band. Mm. And he's a punk rock. Like, gets it. Like, super. Like, from this ethic DIY yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What he was telling me is, "Oh well, it's my job in the band to book the tour, so now I'm trying in a full u s tour on his own, no booking agent, yeah, but he's he's doing the same things, yes, it might be email, but he said he's like, oh i've got a gap in this city, and I'm trying to talk to this yep. band, and it's those same connections it's just yeah, it's well, still just as hard it it is, and i i think I think what i what i Took
1: away from from my time back then, learning this stuff on the fly, just as your your intern is, it it creates a certain it creates a certain work ethic in you. It creates a it creates skills that you don't even know that you're developing at the time. You know, it's I mean, hard. It's scary. It's it, it, it's hard. It's overwhelming. Overwhelming's a better word. And 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 it and I think a lot of people don't really have the they they don't find themselves having uh you know. A reason to do stuff like that because people who do that are people who have these ambitions of taking their their art to a different place, you know. And y- you kind of have to do that, you know. You have to. You kind of have to go all in to make it work the way
0: it hopefully will work, you know. And, and you have to think that you want to think that, that. that's going to happen. That. I want to play that bigger venue the next time I get back to that city.
1: Yeah. Or 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 or, or just. Connect with people who you know who you feel are sort of in a similar headspace as you. I mean, for us, it was about just being a part of a, a very special community. You know, when you kind of go go about the country, thinking that other kids in different cities know about these bands that you know about, and even back then, it felt kind of sacred. You know, it felt like you were in on a secret that no one else knew. So, when you are out out in the the real world. You know, and you you were kind of looked at as like a, a weirdo or a nerd or a freak. You can at least have this thing in your pocket, knowing that there are other kids like you who were listening to similar music and were, you know, congregating at the same venues and, you know, blowing, up, blowing off steam, whether it was, you know, being in in, in the audience or in, in in the pit or whatever, or playing
0: the music themselves, or, you know, making a zine. Or I think st- music in general, it doesn't matter what genre, but yeah. if you go to a show. And you see a guy, and it's like a certain shirt, or you're at the same show, and you saw him at the last show, and now there's yeah. another one, and you put the dots together, you're probably going to be cool with them. And it yeah. doesn't matter what genre it is. And I think you're right about, that was my, I knew that when I went to that punk rock venue, yeah. who no matter who was playing, if there were people that got in there, yeah. I could connect with them, because I knew they weren't going to, yes, there's some stupid people. Course, yes, they're bigger, There's always drama we're the positive show but like you at least saw a kid and you're like hey man i know you're really into that band i saw you last week you're like oh cool oh well i'm going to this one i'll see you then or yeah you weren't texting with them after but you saw them in that environment no, there's like a familiarity Familiar. over time and, and that's what happened with me and nick actually you know nick well
1: i found him at the same shows i was going to and what's funny is that at the time i didn't really know he was a musician or i really i really didn't know he played guitar it wasn't until i met jeff at that record shop at the tune-in who the guy working at the record shop this guy kyle uh kyle mullins who was um he was the second s- singer of that band just a 14 and Josta 14 was jamie Josta's band from Heybreed, which is kind of weird to think it's again when you talk about this stuff and how much it actually spans in terms of genre and, and aesthetic and it, it's wildly different but anyway um, Kyle was super cool he was a little bit older than us and I kind of looked to him as just not like a mentor but a guy who knew his shit you know he was he looked cool he always wore a neurosis t-shirt and I'm like I'm gonna listen to that guy whatever he recommends me to listen to and I, I was in the record shop one day I think I was prefacing some show uh, but I was just kind of perusing through the seven inches and Jeff was in there, and I had never met him, but Kyle knew him from him going in there looking at records, and he introduced us. And, but then I learned that Jeff was already playing music with Nick. Oh, wow. And, and then when I realized that he had known Nick, and then I saw Nick, when I he's like, "Yeah, yeah, my friend Nick, he plays uh, guitar, and we need, we are look, we're looking for a drummer. And so uh, that's kind of how it happened. And again, it's to your point of that community where someone goes to a show and you see them and and then you go to another show and you see them and then suddenly you're playing in a band with them. And that's how, that's how, well, that's often how it happens, you know? And I think that's just so cool because it's the most organic thing in terms of how a a band can actually come together. It's almost, it's like a natural uh, melding just, just by environment. And when you find that people see sort of eye to eye on on how you see things creatively you know some sometimes it really works and that's why i i feel like we were so lucky because we kind of just clicked into something that we didn't know what we didn't know what it was at
0: the time but once we did you know that that sort of genre or that sound was in other parts of the country not really i mean we
1: knew a, we knew about hardcore in general, you know, and punk rock, but in terms of what we were doing, not, not really. We were kind of discovering other bands that were similar while we were doing it. And it kind of just blew this whole door. Like it just blew the doors wide open in terms of what we thought was possible in terms of, connecting with these other types of bands and i was like
0: encouragement i bet too like they're they're doing it in florida
1: we We can do this this way totally we wanted to know who these other people were you know i i remember i first learned of reversal man by listening to a mixtape and i just kept getting stuck on their song because it was i mean they're one of the uh, to me they're one of the best diy hardcore bands out there you know to have ever existed and i but it, and for a variety of reasons. It wasn't just because of their music, it was because of who I learned, uh, who, you know, it, who I discovered them to be as people, because we've eventually met them through playing together or, uh, you know, um, being at, at, at like, a, a, you know, I mean, yeah, we, we we weren't super tight, but we knew of each other, and I think we respected what we were doing because we saw that, the the approach was very similar, and um, you know they were just such an influence on us not not just musically, but but I think they were an influence because they were such a great example of what what being punk was at least to us. You know, yeah, they were they were good people, super nice, and they were also super
0: intact as a band themselves, from what we could tell. You and know? you're learning something from them. Hey, yeah. they did this this way, or I saw them present this, this like you're all sort of learning each other like how they're doing things or just or just ob- observing
1: you know like like i think i think the, the the cool thing about back then was um how everyone sort of contributed in their own way you know in terms of bands and other people who were creative in the scene and doing stuff that kind of enriched that 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 it, it, it developed a very particular culture you know which i thought was so cool because it really was authentic and like you said you know in 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 groups you know there's always a shithead here and there and but then again you you think about it like uh, most of the people that i came across back then they were really nice and just like decent kids and i think they either came from like broken homes or were just you know some some they were going through something of their own struggle you know whether it was personal or or uh, f- family or uh, you just, who who knows this thing everyone's story is different but for some reason these kids congregated to this particular culture when you're around long enough and it's so funny when I, I th- when, when I talk like this it's like am I that old we're not that old but we've been around long enough to really see the change and to see how, how things have s- stuck around how things have
0: faded how things have you know it's that perspective too of i think you know the in high school you know there's certain things that are like the end of the world in college there's things that they're the end of the world yes there's things at work that you think are the end of the world but thankfully if i think there's a way to look at them in a different lens yeah and i sometimes think 2000 was yesterday and then when yeah. I look at some things and I go, oh my god, mm. I need to stop looking like a creep in front of the interns, referencing <laughs> you know TV shows oh, like know. that kind of stuff. I, we're we're, I, I, we're at that point,
1: <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? It's I think it's all right. I mean, you gotta just you just gotta roll with it, I guess. There are there are moments where I'm I'm, I'm in the same I'm in the same situation where I kind of catch myself. Someone thought I was Colin
0: Jost at one of the <laughs> DJ nights, which was fantastic. That helped me. And then another moment. The person's like, I don't know if the 20 songs you played, can you play something in the last five years? And I was yeah. like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a blessing and a curse.
1: It's like, on one hand, we could be looked at as seasoned pros. And then on the other, we're just old and creepy and hanging on to our youth. But yeah.
0: You know what? If you, don't tell me about the late 90s again,
1: Tom. Not a problem. <laughs> Where do I begin?
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously.
1: But here's the thing when when a point in time in your life mattered to you and really had influence on how you operate in the world today I think it's it's worth talking about and I think there are people who want to hear about it whether is it was, it was fellow you know fellow punks from back then or, or younger younger kids now who just want some little bit of a window to to that world and what it was like and honestly beyond beyond the internet and technology and all that shit it it's like like i think that the core principles are they will always be constant you know and i think for me it really is just to somehow find it within yourself to tap into your own output of creativity no matter what it is whether it's, it's in music whether it's it's visually whether it's in writing whether it's in I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, but I think that's the key. And that's really the key for, for anything, right? Just to do things with, with real intention. And, and you know, of course, the, the word authenticity has been thrown around so hard where it's, it, what does that mean anymore? But at the end of the day, you just have to be truthful with, with what it is you're doing. And I think about myself and my my timeline as a musician you know from 2001 when jd broke up and my weird roller coaster ride of a music career that really was anything but punk i i employed or i you know i applied my own work ethic and and diy principles to everything i i did after jd but the the world the worlds that i kind of became a part of as a musician were so much different from what I was used to when I was in a band when I was nineteen, and I kind of struggled struggled with that, you know, as like a, a, a kid in, steeped in punk rock who suddenly uh, had a, a record deal with a major label, and that was really weird for me to uh, not come to grips with. But it took me a while to figure out my my place in all that. And I think that might have been my own personal relationship with this idea of being, you know, signing to a major label as being, you know, anti-punk rock, you know, and uh, but it, it was it was it was a weird ten plus years after the band when I tried to stick with music, but again, in my own way, like I, I really wanted to do something wildly different, and it it never quite aligned, you know. So it's funny to fast forward to now, and here I am back to basics, and it feels fucking great, you know. But again, that comes that comes back to intention.
0: And uh, but you're wanting to create. You talked about the sort of the creative part, and that's what you wanted to do. And it's with those two other guys, and you Mm -hmm. creating. It felt great, and that you could have had a really successful thing with the other bands. It could have something could have taken off. But I still, even if it did. I still think this conversation today. Yeah, you could have just played MSG. You still would have been just as stoked. Yeah, doing this, a hundred percent. And, um, you know, I think,
1: uh, and I think that's that's that, I think that's why I'm I'm saying it on tape right now. Like I'm just saying, like you know, whatever you you guys do, creatively, or whatever you do that's supposed to be some kind of form of, of artistic expression just make sure that you answer to yourself to make sure that what it is you're doing is, is really kind of tapping into, to whatever's going on inside you. Um, cause I think there's a lot of people out there who, who really, they, they, they gun for the, the, to, to be a big band, you know, or their, their, their goals are to, you know, get a million Instagram followers and, and do a bunch of brand partnerships and make tons of money, which is not a, it's not, it's, that's, not necessarily a wrong thing. I just think that the, the final product comes out much differently when you have that approach to the work. And so, you know, you, you said earlier that, that we got a little bit of hate for this crowdfunding campaign, because a lot of people, they, they kind of like self-imploded when they saw that we raised $20,000 to make this record. Well, it's funny, little do they know that that's actually what it costs to essentially make a record you know um and mind you that money that we raised that's not just for a record that's to actually press the record ourselves that's to print our own merch that's to fly from la to new york
0: to connecticut to san francisco it's like we you know we're three and that's what those people know like i think the haters i think yeah. they're jealous that you got it done in four days or whatever it was yeah yeah and w- aren't are in a crappier band and mm. don't have the work ethic i think there's pieces of it that the crowdfunding part if someone wants i gave money to jeremy enig for a record mm. it took two years people were pissed and kind of complaining yeah i i don't care jeremy enig here's twenty dollars go make a new record right. i like you as a musician right. right make it yeah and if you need my help and you're asking fine and i'm getting a cd that's so there's the 10 bucks and 10 bucks goes to the recording or whatever it was yeah. so to do that I don't see that as like a, a weird thing I just think it's jealousy of bands people yeah it, it, it probably just makes people
1: kind of reflect on their own shortcomings or lack of uh, focus or whatever and make shit sense go
0: do a go, go make a record like, exactly
1: <laughs> you know what I mean and, and honestly it's, it's some, and again the the haters actually aren't that aren't that many They're, they could probably count them on you know one hand, but it's interesting though what what sort of fueled their their comments or their their rationale I mean one guy on Instagram was actually talking about how DIY labels are starting to kind of fall by the wayside, and he didn't articulate it like that, but it was something in that realm uh, and I asked him you know I'm like so are you are you mad at us because you think we're taking away from DIY record labels when in fact we are actually doing this ourselves like you're are you telling us how to operate on our own terms like it's contradictory it, it's it's and it, that's the kind of shit that really annoys me is is catching people in their contradiction contradictions you know they try to make these these bullshit arguments about you know what's punk what's not punk what's DIY what's not DIY it's like dude shut the fuck up like why don't you make a record or why don't you do it your way but Please don't don't
0: tell us how to now. If it got zero dollars, if you did the crowdfunding and no one, then fine. Well, Well, shit, no one cares, or everyone wants us to, you know, do it another way. Yeah, but it it was successful. There were enough people that said, "Here you go, Jerome Stream. Right, I want some more music. This is an opportunity to not only sort of
1: re reconnect the dots of of." way back when when the shit was happening but now there's there's even more opportunity for more engagement and there is there's, there's newer bands today there there are newer bands today and there there are kids who are you know 10 some 15 years younger or 20 years younger than us but um they're being drawn to it for probably similar reasons and you know even though we're a little bit older and we're not in the mix as like a a, you know a full-time touring band i still want to think that whatever contribution we're making this year or going into whatever 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 our presence is doing now i'm hoping that it gives some kind of access or window to what what it was like back then whether it's the shit that i post on social media or we just launched a website um with with uh, an an archive page so basically i've taken uh, i've taken a lot of the the prints that i've just had in like envelopes and shoeboxes for years and you know i've just i've just photographed them with my phone and that's how i that's how i get a digital file of them i just i just try and take a decent photo with the phone and get it up online just so they're preserved you know i mean i think maybe eventually I'll, i'll get them scanned officially but you almost don't need to um I'd like you to. Okay, I'll I'll do that. Okay, great. I can uh, I can, can recommend you that a scanner. For, okay, thank you, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, in terms of archiving this stuff, I mean, truthfully, my like bigger picture goal, I just I want to make I want to make like a proper documentary. You know, I want to like help facilitate whether it's whether someone's already like on the the cusp of of doing something like that. I really would like to, and it's a huge undertaking. On on yeah. the band or late nineties no the 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 culture as a whole you know and and similar similar to what you've done i mean you've done you you've been at this for almost a decade you know properly interviewing artists and, and and musicians from from then from back then and you know you've kind of created your 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 own uh sort of Historical documents, you know, whether it's a podcast or if it's your your book, which uh, is available on uh, a <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it's available. Watch <laughs> anthologyemo <laughs> Volume two coming soon. <laughs> um, but it's these types of things that that you know people like yourself are doing that's really creating sort of a, a pathway to this stuff that mattered so much to so many people, you know, our age. But but you know, appropriately emo for uh you know for our purposes with with the the podcast name uh emo means something entirely entirely different to people like you and myself versus people who now have had the definition of emo about ten ten times down the line you know a, a carbon copy of a carbon copy of what this idea of what emo actually is you know um I won't I won't name bands either but I'm sure we we could agree that that some of the bands out there who have become popular but who are clearly just just they're just a carbon copy of and and they know it they have they I'm, and I'm sure back then they were they were those kids on the floor at the shows and but again it's a it's a timing thing too I guess and there's always going to be that I mean I I think it happens with every genre
0: yeah you know so it's just I mean this word's obviously hated I think screamo's got it worse than emo. Yeah, I've always joked about well, that. Like,
1: well, have you heard of scrams? Yes. So that's that was a new one for me. Like I, I kind of saw it pop up over the past couple of years, but I never knew that that that's been around for a minute. See, that shows how fucking out of the loop I am. I mean, so when I started hearing about scrams and hearing that like JD and Orchid and uh, you know all these other bands in
0: that similar circle were deemed as scrams. I had never heard the term I actually didn't know what it was When there was all these message boards Like mentioning it And like read it And also I'm like What the fuck is this I was like I'm in the scene I've been like literally In bands and labels And like as close as you can And I've never heard this term What fuckhead Wrote Like thought of this He's probably 22 (laughs) you know bunch of fuckheads like we were at 22 exactly
1: <laughs> and though i don't even know if we considered ourselves uh we never referenced ourselves as screamo we always we always thought of ourselves to be a hardcore band
0: um which is what but, the shows were i think that's yeah. the you know obviously genre and labeling and things people hate but the it, it was a hardcore show you just said it was totally. a hardcore show yeah. and that could mean a post hardcore band that could mean a straight-edge hardcore band. That could mean well, a screamo band. Like, all those things in one show. Totally. All you had to do was say hardcore show. Well,
1: you know, speaking of, like, post-hardcore, which you would say shift is deemed as post-hardcore, right? Yeah. It's like you have shift and you have, like, Quicksand. Now, Still Suit. I always knew of Still Suit. I never listened to them. But, um, they're, again, they are always a band that I saw on a flyer. Um, but to go back to shift, um, I just want to say that shift was by far one of my favorite bands from back then and i remember i had um i had the shift cassette of um was it pathos pathos was their ep yeah yeah i had that on cassette and i i listened to it so much that i think i wore the tape out but i saw shift play in new haven and they came through new haven quite often um they would play with bands like i remember one of the bills it was like orange nine millimeter who i'm actually not that familiar with but uh I mean, Chaka was in that band. He was in that's right. Burn yeah. exactly, exactly. So, i I think I discovered Shift through going to an Orange Nine Millimeter show because I knew that uh, is Chaka. Chaka, yeah. Because Burn was fucking awesome. I had I had that seven inch, um, but Shift blew my mind because for one, they, I thought they were amazing live, and they just had such an energy. But also that 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 the sound, you know, the, that that post-hardcore sound i guess i mean it's just so different at the time it totally was and i just thought they were amazing and then spacesuit came out but then they signed to they signed to a major columbia. and uh, in 97 which is almost seems like too early and i think for that for them signing to columbia was too early for them i don't think they should have signed
0: and i also don't think they should have called the record get rich get in I thought it was "Get Rich." "Get Rich Quick" scheme was their EP that came out as like a promo, but their album was called "Get In." Oh, see, it's so funny. "Get Rich" just—I'm like, no way! And they're, they're like wearing suits now. And one of their videos, yeah, I want to be rich. They were in suits. Okay, <laughs> see, feel free to. Do, do, I, I, there's, if there's one band I know the trivia, <laughs>
1: uh, that's amazing because I. I I think just as a as a as a young kid, I, I think I just didn't understand. Right? Maybe it was just a, it was a it was beyond me. Like I think they probably took that and they sort of like as underground, you know, people come from the, coming from the underground, they probably sort of wanted to like flip it on its head or something in terms of whatever their uh, inspiration was for get get rich or get I, I don't know like, but I, I guess I'll say in, in short, I, I they kind of lost me after spacesuit, but. But pathos and or pathos and spacesuit were the two records I listened to on repeat and um, and then a little side side note I actually came across I think his name was Brandon the bass player um, I don't know how I know that but because uh, w- when I went when I went to school uh, I went to FIT uh, just down in Chelsea and that's why I moved here I transferred from UMass when I was up there for a bit and but but brendan was, was 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 he was just at a coffee shop and i said you look really familiar i'm like i'm like were you in a band you know and and, and he's like yeah i'm like well, what was it called he's like oh shift and when he said shift i'm like i kind of i kind of i mean i didn't like freak out or anything but i just i took the I took the opportunity to just express to him how much i loved the band and he was so cool and chill and um but that's another cool thing about punk is that there really is no other side in terms of your ability to interact with other... I mean, sure, there's bands who are really big and, you know, sometimes you just don't get to have a one-on-one with them, but I there's just just happened to be in a random cafe and he was there and... Um, now, I, I've was, seen him
0: randomly was, in the city yeah. of time and time before you would exchange Facebook or, yeah. or I mean, text, just, but you would see him and... I remember just because I'd done stuff with them in the band right. after they, you know, helping their website and doing a bunch of things for them right, after, right. but it was just funny to always be like, "Tom," you know, like, "What's up?" And yeah. it was, it was just like an. It, I think that instant, what I talked we talked about earlier about like that hardcore thing where you just nod and you're cool. Yeah, I think it's just like, you're, but that's what it was.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 we're good,
0: and exactly, and it's like no need to
1: fucking go on a Facebook and try and find them. It's not the same. It's way cooler when. It just happens to be in that sort of passing moment, and you you meet someone and like you said, it's kind of like you, you, it's like you kind of know and not like on a like, like not on like a cult level you know, but the fact that we've all shared something very unique and specific, it just makes it uh, I, mean, I i don't know if I would call it sacred, but when you when you know that you've shared something uh that means a lot to you with other people who presumably feel the same way or very similarly. There's something really cool about that. I mean, I've done
0: 130 of these interviews. It's uh, 99% of them. It's that same thing. Everyone's trying to like put into words what their their time period meant. It could have been in 2009. It could have been in 97. It could have been 88. But it's that same
1: thought. And it just goes to show that there there is something um, there 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 is a constant through it all. You know there there is something there that kind of keeps it all tied together. And um, you know, actually, I, I I I full disclosure, I didn't get through the entire interview yet, but I started listening to the, your interview with Nate from Casket Lottery, and it kind of blew my mind that his background. Sounded very similar to mine, and specifically when he mentioned his sister and like the the, the music he discovered. Oh be, yeah, from the well, sister. Yeah, because yeah. he was talking about how you know he started listening to the Smiths and like the Cure, and how the Cure is like his all time. And again, I feel like a lot of us have these similar stories because when I heard him say that, I thought to myself, "Well, shit, my sister. I I was first exposed to this you know music that was." i mean it was popular but it was different and the cure was like my first band that kind of took me to to that place you know i'm doing quotations right now for your for you listeners out there that place is 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 it and the cure cassette tapes she had the smiths as well she had a couple iron maiden lps i didn't really mess with those you missed out yeah uh (laughs) well i couldn't get past the artwork you know Holy shit! No, but um, they lay they lay some heavy ground fire. Yeah, they've really um they've made their mark, <laughs> but just didn't quite grab me. <laughs> I think I listened to uh,
0: their documentary that uh, they did recently I, is fucking amazing. Really, uh, I'll be sure to check it out because it's Bruce Dickinson who's a licensed seven four seven pilot is flying the plane for them around the con- around the world for this tour. Oh my god! So it's like not only does he sing and run around all day, but he also flies the plane. Um, it's 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 a great For some reason that would terrify me that idea, uh, but he, he is a pilot. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> you never know. Um, yeah, you never. It, I, I mean, I'm sure like a lot of the, the a lot of the people who come from this scene, they uh, they do some pretty crazy shit, like become pilots. Or I think at this point, you know, you could just uh, do your part. You know, just in general, right? You just do your part to to preserve it develop it evolve it whatever but you know the 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 principles are essentially the same through and through you know and again that's what i think i'm returning to at this point after all this time where i felt like you know i'm I'm creative in my in my my daily life i'm creative you know with work I'm, i'm lucky to have a job that allows me to be creative and um you know but But i think musically and culturally for me you know like like culturally in in terms of uh, music culture um i felt like i needed to return to this for some reason and i'm i'm seeing now more, more than ever obviously because that's my my eyes are open to this to to see how actually how involved other people are you know it's like the fact that i did this led me to uh talk about it with rishi you know our mutual friend rishi who does song exploder he mentioned tom to me that he had this podcast who's who's archiving the sort of the the timeline of of this particular genre of punk and recommended you know me to get in touch with you and again that's that type of the dot connecting that happens within this this community of people who again quotations know uh, about this stuff and i just find that so cool yeah. that we're doing that in 2018 we're still connecting the dots and that's i think a really important aspect of it is um people Continuing to to kind of go about it that way because even though we live in a different time and technology and accessibility and all that access whatever, if we kind of preserve that kind of community element of of what punk rock was kind of founded on, um, there's still a level of magic that kind of happens despite our our current uh, our current space, you know, in terms of di- digital, um, and again. That kind of goes back to about six hours ago when we were talking about um that element of uh that sort of tactile element of engaging with something or or something that you know was 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 handled by someone else that cares about the shit as much as you do and that kind of reminds me of of again getting back to packaging and record like records um certain record labels i'll I'll mention one just for the archives this this one record label that i was in love with back then was witching Hour records which which was founded by this guy chris williams who i think is still he's doing visual art now but i've lost touch with him but before we even did a record or we did two records with uh with him one was the orchid skull split uh 10 inch and then we did a, a, a split five inch with book of dead names um the first record we discovered of his that he put out was the orchid pig destroyer split seven inch. And the packaging was just so cool. It was hand silk screened and there was like some kind of like handwritten element to it or it was hand numbered or something. And that really intrigued me as a young kid discovering punk. I, I that's that I thought, fuck, that'd be so cool to start a band. And I think we had already started the band, but that'd be cool to do a record with that guy because he has this point of view. And, he's so creative in how he does it. And it's like not setting a, a deliberate example for younger punks to follow. Cause I think they almost, they sort of inherently know what's involved or what, what makes it punk, but to, but to kind of uphold those principles of, of, of a, a DIY approach or, you know, a personalized approach because everything that's digital, it's hard to personalize that. Right. And I think both can coexist. It's just how you structure it, you know. It's like if you have a if you have cool content on your Instagram, cool, that's great. But if you can do something a little extra by, you know, making uh, like making a zine or 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 doing a handwritten note to every person who orders a record or a T-shirt from you, or because even if you're not in a band who who makes that stuff, the recipient of those types of things that that can change how you feel and interpret like a, an interaction, you know, because I think they are becoming less and less common, uh, especially in the music space because everything's just like, you know, churn out as much as you can, throw it, throw it, throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Um, but yeah, that's cool. So, nice. uh, but it, uh, w- one more thing yeah. about, uh, j- you know, I was just thinking about Jimmy Eat World. I'll never forget on our first tour, we had reached the West coast for the first time in that $350 station wagon I mentioned (laughs) earlier. So we roll up to this venue, um, in San Diego. I cannot, the name escapes me, but if someone is listening and they know where I'm talking about, leave it in the comment section. (laughs) Um, but one of the guys from the band unbroken was doing the door and Un- Unbroken was like a San Diego hardcore band. And uh, so we arrived to this venue the night before we were actually to play that venue. And lo and behold, Jimmy Eat World was there playing with uh, J- uh, Jay June. Um, I-, I don't know if they've done a split seven inch, but I remember Five Jay June. I-, I discovered them. I think they had a seven inch or something. And I know that Jimmy Eat World had a split with Piebald, I believe. Did they? I don't think they had one with Piebald. I don't know why I think that. I think maybe this is just a time when I discovered those particular bands. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But but Jimmy Eat World was... uh, They had a 15-passenger van parked outside. So this is pre-Bleed American. Uh, But um, it was so cool. We got to see Jimmy Eat World in a small venue. And uh, from what I can tell, and to, to what you were saying earlier about them taking these newer bands on tour with them... It's cool that they're sort of keeping keeping that line to their roots open, and sort of folding in younger bands that sort of aesthetically work well with them, or, or you know, kind of makes sense to pair with them. But I think it's cool, and it's a similar thing to I think it's a similar thing to like the success of a band like Foo Fighters, where there's guys who are part of this underground punk rock community, and they're still acknowledging that that's that's where they. Where it all started for them, and um, you know, it's important for people to see. It is important, I, I really do, and it's also refreshing. You know, it, it's. I think a lot of people could could you know criticize Dave Grohl uh, or even Jimmy wolf for that matter. You know, these these types of bands who have gone on to commercial success, but uh, how how can you? You know, the they're constantly nodding to sort of the, the very fabric
0: that it came from that was and they're still a band and they're still a band